with various readings for you today from the New Testament. And we're turning first of all to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. We're going to commence with you today a little series on Christian baptism. And I think that's important for believers. And so we're going to look at the the key passages, some of the key passages uh, concerning baptism. So Matthew 28, first of all, verse 16 to 20. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Then turn with me please to Romans chapter 4. The book of Romans chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 6. Romans 4 and verse 6. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, after and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Amen. We'll end our readings there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. And with the word of God open before us, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Grant us divine enablement, the, the Spirit's divine infilling, to hear and to proclaim the word of God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In this introductory message, I just want to give some general overviews uh, concerning Christian baptism. The Bible, we believe, of course, as Christians, teaches that God is appointed beside the word and prayer in the New Testament, the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And these are part of God's means of grace. And as a Reformed confessional church, We do believe, and we'll look at that over the next few weeks, that these two sacraments, they do correspond to the two Old Testament sacraments of circumcision and baptism. Our catechism 
defines for us uh, what is a sacrament in the light of God's word. So in the Shorter Catechism number 92 it says, A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed and applied to believers. So we'll break that down a little bit. The sacrament contains an outward visible sign, which in the case of baptism is water. Not holy water, not water brought from the River Jordan, but just water. It can be out of the reservoir, it can be out of the top. It's just ordinary water. It doesn't, it's not anything different. It's just a visible sign. It's water. But the sacrament also contains an inward spiritual grace, whereby we're taught the new covenant is represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Now, note those three words that are emphasized. The new covenant by baptism is represented, it is sealed, and it is applied to believers. So the sacrament without the inward grace, what does it become? It's just empty ritual. It's just outer form. I was interested to read in Dr. Kearns' dictionary his description. He said, some have described the sacrament as a visible enactment of the gospel proclamation. It goes further than merely proclaiming the gospel. It also signifies the general truth of the gospel along with a definite gracious promise given by God and accepted by us. So even in the sacrament and in baptism, God gives a promise and in faith it is accepted by us. Louis Burkhoff wrote, Burkhoff's the great Reformed theologian, still, I believe, the main textbook in our own Whitfield College of the Bible when it comes to theology. And Burkhoff wrote this, It serves to strengthen our faith with respect to the realization of that promise. So a sacrament indicates a union between the sign and the grace that it signifies. Remember, this union is not physical, but it holy orders, marriage and extreme unction. I'm not going to take the time to go stage. The Roman Catholic Church views them as necessary, absolutely necessary to salvation because they're viewed as sacramental grace. The grace is in the sacrament. But this dispenses with what the New Testament teaches that it's through faith alone that we receive salvation and not by the means of the sacrament. So in our own church, we have our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith. We have the larger, we have the shorter catechism. And I would encourage you to read it. Please read it. Read those sections there in, in the 80s and 90s about the sacraments. Read the second sacrament uh, chapter, chapter 28, chapter 27. Chapter 27 is about the sacrament. affirms that each member of the Free Presbyterian Church shall have liberty to decide for himself which course to adopt on these controverted issues. Each member giving due honour and love to the views held by differing brethren, but none espousing the error of baptismal regeneration. So in studying this whole subject of baptism, eh, as we look out through the lens of our own articles of faith, 
liberty of conscience is given to our members on certain aspects of baptism. So the sixth article points out that the controversial aspects of baptism surrounds the mode and the proper subjects of baptism. So how you do it and those who receive it. The mode and the proper subjects. How it is administered and then the subjects to whom it is administered. And it states that, of course, baptism has been a divisive issue amongst Christians for, for many, many years. So in the light of that, instead of squabbling amongst yourselves, it says that each member will have liberty to decide uh, which course to adopt. And of course, giving due deference to the views of others that might be alternative to our own. So this teaching does outlaw uh, that water baptism is necessary for the regeneration of the soul. Some of, some of you might think, oh, And that is not what the sixth article of faith means. It doesn't mean it at all. The essence of this sixth article A is that though members are left to decide for themselves under God where they stand on these subjects, it doesn't mean to say they can opt out of the subject. They can opt out of the ordinance. And I don't want you to think that. I, I want you to know in the light of God's word, Christians are commanded to be baptised and I think over the next few uh, weeks we'll see that that is an, an, a non-disputable fact. It's an ordinance that has been instituted. But we can't spiritualize it away, nor do we want to spiritualize it away. Christians are able to discern the will of God for their lives concerning baptism. But according to Article 6a, they ought not to allow it to divide them from other Christians who take an alternative view. Now I acknowledge that even amongst our ministers there are different views. And there are those who will be uh, very firm credo-baptists and there are others who will be pedo-baptists. But if some of the members come to them and they want their child baptised or they want to be baptised by immersion as an adult, even though that individual, might, the minister might take a divergent view from that, he is obligated to accommodate uh, their desires to be baptised. Some of you we've done we've covered all of this stuff so what I'm saying is nothing new really uh, to the majority of you but truth has to be stated and restated and re-emphasized that's why the prophets they taught line upon line precept upon precept so you state the truth you apply the truth but you go back to it again and you revisit it and you restate it all over again so if you're hearing this maybe for the second third fourth whatever time uh, I, I trust that it will deepen your understanding of it. If you have a very settled view on baptism, it's not my intention to dissuade you from your position. But rather, I hope what I said to you over the next few uh, meetings will give to you a greater love, I would say, a greater understanding for others who have alternative views.
For there are other believers and the Lord loves them just as much as he loves you and uh, we have to and you have to respect their views. So today we're just going to look at some introductory confessional truths about baptism. Again I'm referring you back to the Westminster Confession of Faith chapter 28. Please read it. Look up all the scripture truths. Don't come uh, and uh, just listen to me. I want you to read it but I want you to look up the scripture truths that are there and as we look at it we, we're going to consider first of all today a, a definition of baptism. How do we define it? Well, we've looked already at uh, the Shorter Catechism, number uh, 92. Let me read to you the Confession, chapter 28, section 1, and we'll, we'll emphasize this. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church. Now, you know, it's good to stop there and think about that just for a second. There are some people have said to me, you don't have to be baptized to be in the Free Presbyterian Church. Well, maybe that's true. But according to our confession, it's absolutely wrong. Because according to the confession, you do have to be baptized to be a member of the visible church. And if the Free Presbyterian Church, with all its faults and failings, is not part of the visible church, we better give up. So it is for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace, of his ingrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his giving up, unto, of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life, which sacrament is by Christ's own appointment to be continued in his church until the end of the world. So that's generally, let's just look at this for a little moment, this uh, a definition of baptism. It is instituted by Christ. Let's emphasize that to you again today. We, we read Matthew chapter 28 very intentionally. Baptism is not a man-made ordinance. And it's vitally important to remember, because Christ instituted it, you and I dare not neglect it. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel chapter 28, 19, Go ye therefore, he's, he's sending the apostles, and this is the apostolic commission. And he said, teach all nations, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now he didn't give everything that there was in baptism in that great co command, but as part of the great commission, the command is given. You're to teach all nations, you're to make disciples of all nations. And when disciples are made, you're to baptize them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And it is to be observed right to the end of the age. Here's a marker for the entry into the visible body of Christ. If you've never been baptized, I hope this command of Christ, if you're a Christian, comes to your heart and life today with clarity and with power and blessed by the Spirit of God to your souls. There are some who profess to be Christians and neither as children or as adults they have not been baptised. Now that can happen and I know it can happen for different circumstantial reasons. But when you know the truth and you now know that you should be baptised you shouldn't allow it to continue forever and a day. You should do something about it. 
Again, Barkov, he said, Christ clothed with mediatorial authority uh, the instituted Christian baptism and thus made it binding for all generations. It's binding. We can't opt out of it. Let's look at this sacrament again, the two elements, the outward sensible sign, the inward spiritual grace. So we know it's water, we know that. But what's the relationship between the outward sign and the grace that is signified by the sign? What's the relationship between the water in baptism and the grace which is received? Again, the confession teaches that the sacraments not only signify grace, but they seal the grace. Now, a seal is something that authenticates a promise. If you get a letter, an official letter, in days gone by, it would have had a seal on the back of it and a big stamp on it, and that authenticated what was in it. You knew it was the original document. You knew it couldn't be gainsaid, unpicked. It had been sealed. Now, when a, a seal is put on a document, it does not change what has been pledged, but it's a further authentication, confirmation of what is stated within. So what is baptism? Well, it's God's seal on that covenant of grace. It's God's authentication of what he has promised already in uh, the covenant of grace. To paraphrase Paul in Romans 4, it's a sign and a seal of the righteousness that is ours by faith. Now you can in your own time. Look at that passage we considered in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 to, to 12. Uh, and Paul explains baptism in a, in a manner that it pictures salvation in a way similar to circumcision. I know there are Christians who dispute the link between circumcision and baptism. Uh, but I am, I am taking what I'm sharing with you from the confession. Others will have to explain that from a non-confessional point of view. Baptism's washing, what does it do? It symbolizes the removal of our sin by Christ. Christ was cut off for our sake. Through his suffering, through his sacrifice for our sins, our cleanse, we're buried with him in baptism and we're raised with him to new life. We are baptized in the name, one name, but in the triune name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I think it's not the amount of water that is relevant, but it's in the name that we're baptized that's the relevant point here. We're baptized in the name of the great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I think it's interesting, we'll come to that next week, when we look at the mode of baptism, that the water is represented as being applied to the person, and not as many insist the person to the water. And I'll explain that next week. We baptize just in simple command to uh, the, the, the great command of Christ as the great king. Baptized into, into. That was a great definition by Paul of what a Christian really was. A Christian is someone that is in Christ. So we're baptized into Christ. The idea is that of union with Christ. My baptism reminds me that by grace I have been united to him. In Romans chapter 6 we read from verse 3. Know ye not that so many as us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore were buried with him by baptism into death. 
that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Galatians 3.27 For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So those who have been baptized, you know the devil would come and he would try to dislodge you, he would try to put doubts into your mind. But this is the great word picture that the, 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 the Lord gives to us. Those who have been baptized have been baptized. My baptism teaches me I have been baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. It carries with it the, the, the design of cleansing and purification. Spiritual baptism, Paul said in Galatians, sorry, Titus 3 and verse 5, is the washing of regeneration. And that's an interesting phrase. Because without regeneration, none of us would ever be saved. So the Holy Spirit washes our soul. It's the washing of regeneration. Baptism with water then symbolizes the baptism by the Holy Ghost. Remember, a few weeks ago we talked about conversion. And without the work of the Holy Spirit and regeneration, nobody could ever be converted. So it's through spirit baptism of the Holy Ghost that regeneration, salvation, that we are united to Christ and made one with him in his death. So that's an important truth to meditate upon. Water baptism as an adult and a child does not bring us into the reality of union with Christ. What does it do? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Regardless of the mode of baptism, regardless of at what stage you're baptized with, it's the washing of regeneration that brings you into union with Christ. Baptism only pictures that. So let me ask you again today, do you know the change that regeneration has wrought in your life? Are you really converted? If you're really converted, you can say, you do know and you have experienced the washing of regeneration. You've been made anew and again a new creature in Jesus Christ. The wonderful Heidelberg Catechism amplifies it in question 69. Christ has appointed the outward washing with water and added the promise that I am washed with his blood and his, and his spirit from the pollution of my sin. That is from all my sins as certainly as I am washed outwardly with water. Uh, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. The devil comes to put doubts in your mind. Are you really saved? Think back to your baptism when that water was either applied to you or you applied to the water. The great picture of the washing of regeneration. God has done the work in your soul. Thirdly, consider with me then the distinction which baptism makes Again, we'll go back to the confession, chapter 28, section 1. It says here, for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church. That's an important distinction that our confession makes. Those who are baptized, they become part of just the visible church. I'm not talking about the invisible body of Christ, just the visible body, what you see, that, uh, that, that representation visibly of the church in that locality. And that's a high honour indeed. So baptism is a sign of membership of the church. It is a separating from the world. It's an official introduction in an external manner into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why, brethren and sisters, I say 
chronologically at least, baptism must precede church membership. It draws a distinction between the communion of the saints and the outside world. Those who are Christ have been marked by the Lord. So baptism is a sign, it's a symbol of that separation. In the New Testament scriptures, we, we read of it in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47. Those that received the word, gladly received the word, were baptized. That was the line of differentiation. It's a symbol of my union with those in the household of faith. And no matter where you go in the world, there's a common identity with those who have professed faith in Christ and have been baptized in the name of the triune God. What is God doing through this ordinance? He's taking a people and he's separating them unto himself and he's putting his name upon them. I have the name of the triune God upon me as a baptized Christian. That's, what, that's a big distinction, isn't it? And wherever you go this week, if you're a baptized believer, you have the name of the triune God upon you. And you can face Satan and his hosts, not only knowing you have that name upon you, but you have his spirit within you. Could we just close out with this final thought? The duty of those who are baptized. Well, I, I like the expression in the confession, and it states that baptism is a sign and a seal of the one being baptized, giving himself up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. Those who are baptized, and it doesn't matter, we're not talking about the mode, we're not talking about the subjects here, but those who are baptized, they belong to the Lord. And they have a duty to give themselves up unto God in consecration and to walk in holiness and newness of life. There are many excellent commentaries on the confession. I have various ones of it, but just a few years ago, I bought the newest one that I know of at least, from the Banner of Truth by, by Dr. Chad Van Dixhorn. And it's an excellent commentary. I commend it to you. You'll get it down in, in Beulah. It says, Baptism preaches the gospel promised and accomplished. Now listen to that. Baptism preaches the gospel promised and accomplished. But it also depicts the gospel applied. So baptism tells us, we'll look at it, we've, we've done so, we'll look at it more in the weeks ahead. <clears throat> it preaches the gospel accomplished, but it also depicts the gospel applied. It calls us to surrender our lives to God through Christ. There are many, and they say baptism, well, it's just a badge of profession. Dear brethren and sisters, it's much more than a badge of profession. It's a seal of our regeneration and of applying to us afresh the promises and the blessings of the gospel. It is a call to holy consecration and to a separated, sanctified walk of life. So baptism is the gospel, as we've been thinking of here. It's the gospel promised and accomplished, but it's also the gospel applied Every day you and I must apply it and live it out in an ungodly, evil world. 
those who were baptized in Acts chapter 2, maybe we'll come to that passage up ahead, Acts 2, 41, 47, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in church fellowship, and as a result, the Bible tells us, the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Where there's church order, there'll be God's blessing. And I want to say to you very sincerely, and I don't mean this with any disrespect to anyone, if you want the blessing of God in your life, well then you will have to <coughs> consider what we've been saying today about baptism. It's not just the gospel promised and accomplished. It's the gospel applied. 